A Tiny Revolution features adults having adult conversations, which means that adult language is probably going to be present, just so you know. Hey friends, I wanted to get your attention just for a second before we jump into the episode today. I wanted to tell you about an email I got from a listener the other day. He told me that he was at the end of his rope. His parents didn't understand him, that his pastor told him that he needed to get an exorcism to get rid of the demon of homosexuality. He told me that he was thinking about killing himself. And then he found my blog where I talked about my own experience with, uh, with, with suicidal ideation and my uh, attempts as well. And he said because of that blog that he was still here. I got a DM from a girl the other day on Instagram who is trying to figure out how she can be both bisexual and Christian. And she felt like God didn't love her. And I, you know, pointed her to some videos that we had talked about the same thing. And now she said that she's really grateful and that she's so happy that there's other queer Christians out there. She had no idea. That's the world we live in, friends. There's so many people out there who are still in need of connection and community, who people who are in need of a good word for their lives, that there is hope. That's what this podcast is doing. Um, that's what uh, the blog is doing. That's what the YouTube videos are doing. And I don't say that to toot my own horn. I say that because I've got the receipts for it. I say that because I can tangibly see what this work is doing. And that's why I'm here with you today. When I started this work over three years ago, I had no idea how incredible it was going to be. I had no idea like the reach that we would have just from a little tiny blog all the way to, you know, QCF and more. And um, it's amazing. It's amazing to see people finally getting to see what it looks like to live an abundant life, to get like a taste of what it could be like outside of the small world we were born into. People are getting free. And that, my friends, is because of you. If you're new to the podcast or any of my work, you probably know that I'm an independent creative, which means I don't make that sponsor money. And I get 100% of my support from folks like you. Folks who think, wow, this podcast is so great. Folks who share the work and who believe in telling better and more stories about faith and sexuality, gender, and justice. Um, and we also know that telling stories like this is probably one of the most effective things we can do in changing the hearts and minds of people out there and also in finding solidarity and solace for ourselves you also might know i started grad school this semester and i had to step away from my job at the yoga studio i was working at because i was hoping that i could like make it just with content creation and uh, and school and just being frugal but the reality is that um presently this uh the way i'm working is not sustainable um not in the way I want to work, not not with the amount of content that I want to make going forward. I've got big dreams for 2019. Um, I've got two podcasts, one that is going to start in December called Decent Advice, where you're, there's going to be a, an extended version for Patreon supporters and a, a kind of a solo version for everybody else. I want to release multiple videos a week, not just um, like an, like uh, encouraging videos or like stuff about being gay and Christian, but I actually want to do educational series on how to talk about the Bible, um, how we should view the Bible, how do we talk about sexuality, how do we talk about sex in general. There's so many things that our community of queer Christians needs right now, and there's so much that I want to produce, but I cannot do it without you because, honey, this shit ain't free, to be honest. I've got... So many different things that I'm paying for, not to mention my own bills, my living expenses, and the cost of hosting. You know, you know the deal. This work happens because you make it happen. So I'm inviting you today to become a Patreon supporter with this really long, big ask. The current goal, I would like to be at $2,500 a month, which could cover the cost of hosting. It could cover advertising fees for other projects, paying my editors, and a lot more beyond that. And if we can get beyond $2,500 a month, I want to also get transcripts available for every single podcast. Um, and also accurate closed captions for all of my videos so that our hearing impaired friends can join in on this because accessibility matters, you guys. But it does cost about like $1 a minute to transcribe stuff. And, you know, you do the math. It's a, it's a lot. So this is where you come in. You're going to go right now to patreon.com slash the Kevin Garcia and become a sustaining partner. It takes just a minute. There are some incredible rewards, like a Slack channel to get you connected with other folks like you, monthly meditations to help center yourself, a dope-ass newsletter, a bunch of helpful stuff, uh, original music sometimes, t-shirts, coaching calls. Like, like you're at, you will get something out of investing in this work. Uh, besides just the satisfaction that 
your money is reaching out to kids in rural places who don't have any other connection to the LGBTQ community. Your money is helping connect um, people who are stuck in the closet in megachurches. Your money is going to help people get free. And I truly believe that. So, are you in? Even if you just have a dollar a month, a dollar can help change the life of a small queer little baby in the middle of nowhere, Alabama. You can help save lives. That's what this is. Honestly, that's why I'm so passionate about this work. It's not because I want to be a famous YouTuber. It's because we're literally saving lives, my friends. We're literally standing in the gap for people who haven't got out of the closet and who haven't walked into their freedom yet. So... If you're somebody who has the means to do it, please become a sustaining partner. Let's make this work together. And once again, that website is patreon.com slash the Kevin Garcia. The notes, uh, the show notes have the link. Um, thank you. Thank you so much for your support thus far. And I'm so very excited to see what we can do going forward. Now that I've talked your ear off, let's jump into the show. there you're listening to a tiny revolution a podcast about ordinary people living revolutionary lives i am kevin garcia welcome to another episode homie how you doing how you been um it was thanksgiving last week so obviously i wasn't on because thanksgiving and tryptophan and turkey and family and all that stuff and uh you know casually uh telling your family that um colonization was a thing that happened I don't know if you can relate to that, but in the comments, let me know. How was your holiday season? How's it kicking off for you? Is it fun? Is it lonely? Um, I mean, for a lot of us, this time of year can be super duper lonely. So I totally get that. So if you are that person out there, know that your queer fam loves you. We out here in these streets and pretty soon we're going to abolish the system anyways and establish our own damn holidays. But until that day, we got your back. A couple of announcements before we jump into the conversation today. One if you are going to the QCF or Q Christian Fellowship Conference coming to Chicago in January, I am going to be there. Matthias Roberts is going to be there. So many amazing humans. Jennifer Knapp, who was the guest last week, is speaking. She's a keynote for the 2019 conference. Um, and I'm going to be there. I'm going to be doing a workshop on forming sexual ethics. It's called Let's Talk About Sexual Ethics. Just go look at it. It's a really clever way that I set that up because I'm just such a clever and original individual. LOLOL. Um, I'm also going to be leading worship alongside Tash Holmes and the amazing worship crew. Um, I'm really excited to be working with them again for the third year in a row. And then additionally, um, I'm going to be doing a live show for the first time ever. A Tiny Revolution Live is happening at QCF. I have no idea what we're going to do. I don't know what's going to happen. I'm still figuring out how uh, we're going to do recording and stuff like that. But I absolutely believe that it's going to be the greatest time ever. So please be sure to join us in Chicago for the Q Christian Fellowship Conference. You can get all your info at qchristian.org. All right, jumping into the conversation this week. This is uh, a conversation with my friend Caleb Wild. Caleb and I met over the summer at the Wild Goose Festival, and I was fascinated by his work and what he did. I had already heard of him before, and I think I actually heard him on the Rob Bell podcast um, a long time ago. And our conversation was just so good for me. We talk about sex, we talk about death, we talk about uh, Eucharist and baptism and the movie Coco. It's so much. But let me tell you a little bit about him and his book, which is called Confessions of a Funeral Director, How the Business of Death Saved My Life. I think this is the, the book description. The meta narrative that we've been given is that death is entirely negative. We use war metaphors to describe our personal battles with terminal sickness as though we believe death is an enemy that needs to be fought. With the death as a negative story, it's made us easier for us to abdicate our responsibilities to the dead and dying over to the death and dying professionals who have been trained to care for, beautify, and hide the horrors of death. But there's another narrative about death, that death maybe can be beautiful. Death can allow us to see our own mortality, realize our finitude, and perhaps even cultivate a meaningful life. For the dying, death can be a release of a slowly deteriorating body. Time, times of death can allow us to hug our loved ones, allow us to cry with our family and friends, and honor a life well lived. Embracing death can allow us to embrace life, and contemplating our mortality can allow us to pursue vitality. And maybe when we embrace death, we can actually take back death care. Yes, death can be bad. Yes, death can be negative. But it can also be beautiful. 
and that alternate narrative needs to be discussed, which is what we come to today with my discussion with Caleb Wilde. We talk about all of that and so much more. Uh, a little bit about his uh, background education and all those, you know, the credential stuff. He's a graduate of uh, Northampton Community College in the Funeral Service Program, a licensed funeral director with the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania since 2007, a bachelor's degree in Bible from Lancaster Bible College, master's degree in theology from Biblical Seminary, certificate of thanatology. I don't know what thanatology is. is that the study of Thanos? Let me know when you listen to this, Caleb. Um, from the Association for Death Education and Counseling. Uh, currently a postgrad student at the University of Winchester, completing the Death, Religion, and Culture program, which is just so cool. Um, I think you guys are really going to get, um, I think you're going to love this conversation. It was really meaningful for me. Um, so, Caleb, thanks for being on the show. And the rest of you, uh, sit down, shut up, grab yourself a beverage of your choice. Co- I'm currently drinking hot cocoa with like a little bit of rum in it because tis the season, you know what I'm saying? Anyways. Here's my conversation with my friend, Caleb Wild. If someone didn't know who you were, um, say like you're at a cocktail party and says, hey, what do you do? What's your thing? What would you, what would you pitch them? Like, what's your cocktail party talk? Mm, it depends if I like them. Okay. <laughs> because it, inevitably... I know where it's going to go. You know, it's going to go to, well, what's the grossest thing you've ever seen? And uh, do you really do the embalming and stuff? And do people really move after they die? So if I don't like them, I'll just be like, um, I, I, you know, I'm a travel agent or some shitty makeup (laughs) thing like that. Just you're Um, helping fairy souls to the other side, that kind of travel agent. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So that's, that's the direction I'll go one way or I'll go into the stories and try to figure out how much I can say without grossing them out. So it's kind of a uh, me reading their nonverbal cues, mm-hmm. trying to understand if I can talk about death boners and mm-hmm. uh, if I can talk about times where I've seen cats eat people what? and things of that nature. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It happens. Yeah. Um, so once I get that feel, then, you know, then we go from there. Then we go from there. That is quite a pitch. And also, like, two different pitches. So, like, um, you know, I'm sure that you've answered this question a zillion times. How the hell did you get into this line of work? I ask that every day. Like, I, <laughs> well, I ask myself, why do I stay? Uh, I was born into it. So ah. I am a sixth-generation funeral director. No way. On both the maternal and the paternal side, I have history. So my dad, my father's side, I'm sixth generation on my mother's side. Her family owned a funeral home. I would be fifth generation. Mm. Uh, so I am a, I'm a thoroughbred. Wow. And I did not want to do it. In fact, I wanted to be a missionary <laughs> in high school. Same. Because <laughs> the Holy Spirit... And the pressure from the leaders in my life, that was the only way I could please God. Yeah. And I definitely couldn't please God at the funeral home. No. Because who wants to talk so, about death and there's life everlasting, honey? Yeah. Well, I don't know that I believe in that. Girl, neither do but, I. So, but. Well, I, yeah. That's another so, discussion for another time, probably. <laughs> that's a big rabbit trail. Um I, uh, I'm in it and I'm not sure how long I'll stay. I did go to seminary. I graduated from seminary. I have a post-grad degree in death, religion, and culture. Whoa. I didn't know that. I didn't know that was like a degree you could get. It's not in the U S of A it's over in England. England is cool with death. Where Uh, there's, there's grad post-grad doctorate programs on death. So death. England might be in my future mm. uh, just because, uh, like possibly going working to teach around, over there or no, no, no. Going to learn, going to, uh, maybe do a PhD program and, um, at one of the universities uh, that offers something death focused. Mm-hmm. Um, so I know that you've said in other places, um, that you want, I mean, you just said it like England's okay talking about death. 
nowhere in the United States are we talking about death. Even much so like my father died back in February and I feel pretty comfortable talking about it myself because I think that the way that, I don't know, just the way my, my brain works, I'm okay with talking about it, but why, why is it such a problem here in the U S it's a problem for multiple reasons. And Christianity is certain a big part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, Christianity has done a couple things. Heaven has made grief uh, less weighty, or so we think. We can just work around grief because Jesus and heaven and and everything that comes with it. Mm -hmm. Uh, So why should we grieve if our loved one's in a better place? Uh, Original sin is problematic. Mm. We believe that death is an inherently uh, punishment. Mm Mm-hmm. So if death is punishment, it's not a good thing. It's something that uh, we can't embrace. Mm. Uh, and America as a whole, I we have so many immortality projects where we are trying to do everything to make ourselves feel like a part of us will live forever. That the idea that whatever we do and what we are doing will one day just end and won't be uh, is existentially difficult for us to grasp. Mm. So there's a number of it's, it's kind of like a cesspool for why death is, is such a hard conversation. Mm-hmm. And the, and the other thing, and this is, I'm, I might be getting off track here, but no, chase your we, glory. We have made, we have put death into binary categories and this was something that, you know, you guys were talking about back when we met at the Wild Goose. And can I just go back there? So the first time yeah. you we met, um, I remember exactly what happened. You asked <laughs> me, how do you like my pants? Because it was... Did I say that? Yeah, that, that was the first thing you said. <laughs> um, and it was like 90 degrees and... Everybody was sweaty and dirty. Like nobody at Wild Goose believes in hell, but we were literally in hell at Wild <laughs> Goose. <laughs> and uh, um, and uh, my was, first uh, thought was that this is a committed person who <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I think what what the fuck was I wearing? It was tight. the 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 pants were tight. the The top was froofy, but it it worked. I probably. I bet I was wearing like my my acid wash jorts. Hold on, I can't even tell because I'm looking. I'm looking at a picture on my wall right now of the of that day, mm. and I can only see the top. Mm. But yeah, the the top I looked like a total flamer, but the pants apparently were <laughs> apparently tight. I'm the same way though. Like fall starts for me right now. I'm breaking out the pants. I never wear shorts. The only time I've worn shorts this entire summer was at Wild Goose. Because mm. I would rather look nice in pants than show my white ass legs to the world. So yeah, it's a it's a hard life. Yes. But yeah, so, so, it was that's what I meant. so I asked you, do I, do you like my pants? I must have been real fucked up. Uh, I we, we all were, I think <laughs> to some degree or another. Yeah. Anyways. Anyways, so uh binaries and death. So we've made we've put death in either or categories where you are either dead or you're alive. And mm-hmm. one thing that I'm interested in is looking and it's something that I might pursue if I go the PhD pre- uh, uh, direction is the liminality of death or the queerness of death, where mm. there's a lot of ambiguity to things that we want to make either or. So we want to make it that when our loved one dies, that we're seeking for closure and we're ending that chapter. But I don't think that we can look at it in such a, a, a an either or way. It's a, it's a, it's a threshold experience where mm-hmm. when we experience death, our loved ones are both still alive. They're both still a part of us. They mm-hmm. still speak to us, even though we ignore it at times, we can still hear their voices yeah. And not like a super spiritual way, like in a legit real way, but they aren't here at the same time and they aren't speaking at the same time. So it's these, these 
this confluence, this ambiguity that exists. And instead of sitting in the tension of it, we seek for closure and we just want to package it up and put it behind us all neat and tidy uh, and with a ribbon and a frilly card. So, so yeah, so that's something that is also a problem, I believe, you know, because that's what we do in America and it served us well is that we place things in categories and that we have really a really difficult time with things that are ambiguous or things that are liminal or things that are queer. And uh, that is also one of the main reasons why I think it's hard for us to talk about death because it's inherently liminal. It's in, it's in a space that is both and it's in a space where these tensions exist, uh, where somebody's not dead or alive, they're dead and alive, where it's, not grief or celebration it's grief and celebration where they no longer speak but they still speak and they are not present but they still are in us so Mm -hmm. almost inescapably so yeah yeah um so i think that i have a lot to learn from uh queer theory just because there's a lot that's that can be applied to the way that we handle our relationship with mortality and our relationship with our dead. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, the thing that you were saying, like all of that is our loved ones who have died, who are speaking, but not speaking here, but not here. Like that makes uh, total sense to me. Um, you know, if I may like d- dive into a little bit of like narrative of my own, Please. if that's okay. Please. I, th- these are um, the conversations I love. So like my dad and I didn't speak um, for three years and the day I was supposed to fly up to, yeah, me too, honestly. Um, but the day I was supposed to fly up to see my father was um, the same day that he died. Oh. And so like, that was going to be the time when I was going to sit with him and like, hopefully in my in my mind's eye have like a reconciling moment like finally you know say whatever we were going to say because this was going to be my last chance and uh about a couple hours before my flight my brother called me and told me that he died um and even even after that like uh even after going to the funeral even after like you know you know his body was like I don't actually don't know where his body is. He's supposed to be buried in Arlington at some point in the future, but there's like a list a mile long to get into no, Arlington. No joke. So he's legit. I mean, you have to be a, a, a real somebody oh, to yeah. get in there. Yeah. It's so annoying. Apparently. We, so we had a funeral and then we have to have a second funeral. I don't have time for this. Mm. Just kidding. Mm. That's really um, harsh, but, um, but it, it was, it's been really weird, like learning to like, how do you find, how do you give forgiveness or how do you forgive somebody when their, when their body isn't like when nothing's inhabiting their body, you know, how do you um, find reconciliation with somebody who you can't physically converse with? And that's, those are the questions I've been dealing with because it's, it's real. Like I, part of my healing is going to come from coming to terms with like what my relationship with my father was and still is in some ways like um friend of mine told me she said like you know you should put a picture of your father on your on your prayer altar Hmm. so that way like you know you you can just have him on your mind rather than him coming to mind and just being wrecked every single time yeah so it's it's been a really interesting experience this past year of um trying to build this sounds so weird maybe but like trying to build a relationship with somebody who is not physically here anymore but like i'll be in yoga and i will hear him talking to me yeah and i am just wrecked or like i will will see something and i'm just reminded of us and just like our child my childhood with him and i'm just you know, not overcome completely, but it's just, like, it gives me pause. I'm just like, why is this like, why is he still here? Yeah. yeah. I'm like, what the fuck are you doing? Yeah. Just like, you weren't here three years before. Like, why are you 
bothering me now, but you know, not that he's bothering me, but just he's, he's here and that's, it's weird, but it, um, it feels a lot easier than just saying, than just putting him in the ground and letting that be that. And that's what I think a lot of us do. I mean, the, the very idea of closure, where did, where the hell does that come from? Why, why do we think that a healthy grief experience ends with closure or that Mm -hmm. we have uh, five stages of grief. And once we get to the last one, we're now, we should be done. We've grieved. Right. 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 And, and even our conception of grief is very binary. Like why Mm -hmm. does does death always have to be grief? It, it doesn't. Uh, grief, mm. grief in some ways can be a celebration of embracing the goodness and, and, and living in that goodness and remembering and not just remembering, but imbibing uh, the, the person who was. Uh, and right. So I think I think the the way that I've come to look at it is it's it's a continuing bond. Relationships don't end at death. And right. exactly your experience. Um where it's it's both though. It's both he's dead and he is still mm-hmm. alive. He's not talking. You can't call him on the phone or, or text him but he's still speaking. And so instead of mm-hmm. being like, well, that's too weird. It doesn't fit into my categories, just walking into it and, and being okay with it, which, um, which is hard. Um, yeah. Did you see, um, did you by chance see the film Coco? I love that film. Favorite film. Oh. L- listen, that last scene, Tears, tears everywhere. I cried. Oh my God. Well, also like, so like my grandmother has late stage dementia. Oh my goodness. And so like being, and so like whenever I sing for her and like sing jazz music, she just gets, everything comes back to her so quickly. So like, it was such like, I'm like, oh my God, I've been there. Um, But that entire film, like being about death and remembering our loved ones um, and how the, your ancestors are your ancestors can be celebrated. Yeah. It was, um, it was, it's, it was just an interesting, it was really healing for me to watch that, to see how this other culture like totally doesn't, um, you know, doesn't exclude, you know, the members of their family who have passed on or, or dead. Like they're just like, you know, this is like, these are still people who are still here and still with us. And we want to keep them as part of our traditions. Um, and I just, I wonder how much like as Americans and just Western people in general, we have to learn from cultures like that who have their ancestors and people who have come before them as a part of their spiritual practice. Yeah. And, and also, so I brought my, I, my son to see Coco. He's six. I thought, oh, this is going to be a good bonding experience. It, he's going to love it. You know, it's, it's a cartoon mm-hmm. It's floofy. It's, yeah. And at the end I was crying too. And I look over mm. at him and I'm like, so, so how'd you like it? He's like, it was dumb. And I just wanted to, yeah. What? I was like, Who the fuck are you? You know. <laughs> <laughs> so we did not connect. We, that, that's still, it's still something between us that we will have to work through. A point of contention. Yes. Yeah. There's some reconciliation, some healing but to there happen. There does need know? to be, uh, I'm still upset at him. He's a little, little dick. Um, so, yeah. I want to get to a point where, like, if I have children one day where I can call them, like, I'm just like, oh, my kid's such yeah. an asshole. I want to get to that level. Yeah, yeah, he can be. But so can I. And so I, we... Yeah, so can we all. Uh, at least we're self-aware, though. That's the, that's the, the main thing. Yes. Yeah, so but, Dia de los Mortes, and, of course... Uh, you know, I, I'm not a Mexican, so I don't want to go or really, I guess it originally, it's even before that, uh, before, mm-hmm. uh, colonization. Thank you. 
I got you. Um, so I don't want to speak to it like a, an expert because I'm not, but from what I've learned is that the idea of celebrating the person who has died is a way to hold back the second death. So, you know, I've, who is it? That white rapper from Seattle. Oh God, you're going to need to Macklemore. help me again. Yes. Thank you. He has there's a, some <laughs> song that he talks about how they're, you know, the, we die once and then we die a second time when people forget our name. It's cheesy, but there's a lot of truth to that, especially that's brought out by Dia de los Mortes, where they're celebrating the defeat of the second mm. death by remembering their loved one. So death beat them once, mm. but death will not beat them again because they are going to keep speaking the name of their deceased and Ooh. they're going to keep bringing them up and they're going to involve them in their houses. They're going to put their pictures on the walls. They're going to remember the stories. They're going to feast in celebration because we are remembering and we are defeating the second death. So uh, that, that needs to be in me, you know, that tradition yes. and exactly like you said, and that's not the only one. I mean, it's all over the world. It seems in different pockets where, where we, we are celebrating the defeat of the second death by including our dead mm -hmm. in everything that we do instead of excluding mm -hmm. them, you know, once they, once they're buried or cremated, they're in the dead space and the living space mm -hmm. is just inhabited by us. I mean, the thing I think you just described was the Eucharist. Like, I don't know if you like, because I'm such a good Christian, <laughs> I just heard it that yeah. way or, but like that, I think that in some ways, like that's what, you know, we are doing, you know, it says that, you know, whenever we eat this bread yes. and drink this cup, we proclaim our Lord's death until yes. he comes. And to, and to say, and that's what Jesus is doing. Like Jesus is like by doing this, by remembering, you know, the person of Jesus, by remembering that, like we look at our lives totally differently because like we see that Jesus defeated the second death, if you will, you know, and by doing that, by keeping this tradition alive, uh, by, by keeping this memory alive, like we're able to not just defeat the second death around the memory of Jesus Christ, but we are able to defeat death in every other form because we're like compelled towards justice because we remember the life and we incorporate this person into our being. Damn! When does the amen drop? Now? Amen? <laughs> or later? <laughs> Listen, I'm about an air horn, so like... <laughs> oh. Sorry, this was like light bulb moment for me. Wow. Yeah, so, and I think that's the vein where we can start talking about eternal life, right? Mm, that's that's the vein yeah. where life continues on, in my understanding of things, is it's, it might be real. It might be, and I'm not going to say it isn't. It might not be, yeah. and I'm okay either way, but I'm going to actively remember the dead my life, mm -hmm. in my life, I'm going to keep them alive. We we are going to keep them alive by not excluding them from our day to day, but including them in our day to day. Uh, however, that might look yes. like a shrine, like 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 uh, uh, was in Coco, that beautiful mm -hmm. shrine, um, or mm -hmm. instead of leaning away from the voices that we hear and think that we're crazy uh leaning into it mm -hmm. so I, I i do yeah. i think that there's a lot of uh power to the eucharist in this conversation and probably mm -hmm. the irony of it is is that that's a foundational aspect of the christian faith and yet Christians work so damn hard to separate the dead from the living. Uh, mm -hmm. and, uh, yeah. And when like, when in, in general, just like, I think like the, what I really enjoyed about what you initially said is just like talking about death. It's just as a natural progression of life. Like not as this thing that is a punishment. And I remember when I was younger, when I was like full blown charismatic, oh. You too? I, did, 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 oh, did we honey. do the tongues? 
Oh, did I do the tongues, honey? Oh, shit. No, 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 no. Uh, I, uh, I was all about it. And there's still moments, like, I've noticed. Um, I had a month. I had a month of tongues. And just a month? Only, you just, just dabbled a, a little bit. And he was like, ah, I don't want that. I, I tried it. Yeah, I couldn't. I mean, I, I have trouble speaking to begin with. You know, <laughs> Listen, I'm not good with English as it is. I don't want to try and take on a second language. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Oh I'm American. I don't need a second. <laughs> Come on. And the Bible was written in English too, so like it's fine. Praise Hallelujah. Um, but back in my charismatic days, like I, I would often say to people, especially people who are experiencing death, I'm just like, like the re, and I regret this now, but like I would I, the way I rationalize it in my head, I'm just like the reason death is so hard for us is because it was never a part of the original design of the world. And I'm like, right. I don't know if that's like an actual good reading of the Genesis myth. And also I was like a, a biblical literalist at the time. So like hmm. that didn't help either, but like looking at it in hindsight from, uh, from the other side of, of that, ex- of, I don't know, my natural progression of being human. I think it's, um, I think it makes a, a lot more sense now that yeah. that death is just a part of this thing. Um, and, and I don't want to see it as just like, yeah, it hurts. And yeah, like we feel shattered at the end of it or, or during it. But I think like, I don't know. I, I think how I've at least been processing it is that it doesn't have to, I know for me, everyone's just like, you know, how do you get over grief? How do you get through grief? I'm just like, I don't know if you do. I just think it's just like you learn to live with it in different ways. It's almost like a mountain or at least like you're like walking around a mountain and you just like, once you come around to the same point on the mountain, it's like you just see it from a different angle. Um, Hmm. That's good. At least for me, like I, grief for me is disgusting and horrible and it makes me cry during yoga, but it I, I feel something. And I think a lot of times we spend our time trying to shut that part of ourselves down when the only way to continue to live is to feel. And if we're just not wanting to feel this one emotion, these very complex emotions around the loss of our loved ones, like we're never gonna we're never gonna continue to be human. It's almost just like we die rather than, you know, our loved ones. Yeah, we do. A part of us dies. I think we're liminal in that way too. Mm. Where uh, when somebody that we love dies, we also die. I th- there's a and I don't know if it's true. It's one of the things that I've read uh, in my studies that it was like, "Oh, that's cool." And it must be true because it's in a book. <laughs> Uh, but so supposedly in some Jewish sects, and of course, you know, there's, it's probably just like Christianity where there's a hundred million variations, mm-hmm. but supposedly when somebody dies, uh, you're not obligated to the law. So if, you know, my wife died or my son died or you, when your dad died, you're not obligated to the law for a month because <gasps> the law is only for the living. And the idea being that when they die, you die too. Mm. So, so I think that we are not only whispering our dead back to life, but we're whispering ourselves too, Mm. where we're by allowing them to come back to life in our lives. It, it revives us um, because parts of us die with them when they die um because we're not we're not just dead or alive we are we we exist in an ambiguous space mm-hmm. and i think you know to go back to another christian metaphor sorry i don't i almost i want to say like i don't mean to do this. we can't escape it i mean i am starting seminary so like i might as well just lean into this whole shit you know, yeah. but like, you know, like if, if baptism is supposed to be symbolic of that, of entering into death, you know, yeah. like it's already there. Like we signed up for it when we, you know, at least like in the Baptist tradition, you know, we do a full immersion. 
you know, as a sim, mm-hmm. as of a symbol of like you know being die, of dying and then being raised to life in something new. And so and it's so, like things wet. So <laughs> it's true. Hey, uh, <laughs> uh, I love a good double entendre. Um, this is also why I want to go into to sex pot, like getting people to talk about sex more because I think that's funny as shit. Um, yeah. And that's another part. I mean, that's another part of who we are that for some reason or another, we've associated with badness. Uh, death and sex are very similar. Say more. Uh, where they've been, they are the two things that definitively make us human. Mm, yes. They're, and in the past, that's been interpreted as not divine. Ooh. So if these two things are the essence of our humanity and aren't transcendent, uh, they're the things that we shame. They're the things that we, we talk about with euphemisms. They're the things that we dance around mm-hmm. and don't touch. It's because they're both base. Mm-hmm. They, they are earth. They are the dust. Uh, my desires, my, my, uh, who I am. My body. Sexually. Yeah, my body. Uh, and my body that will die. There's a lot of connection between sex and death. Uh, and I think when we transition to sex positivity or death positivity, it also helps us with the other. Right. So as we're learning to accept these parts of ourselves, these fundamentally human parts of ourselves, mm-hmm. uh, it helps us to also accept the other fundamentally human part. Yeah. Uh, Maybe. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I 100% relate. I think, um, because I think, and maybe it's easier to approach sex from a, from the threshold of death, perhaps, because one of them, we have a choice of whether or not to engage with it. And the other one yeah. is going to hit us in the face. So it's like death is going to happen. Like you do not have control over that, but like choosing to engage with like sex and desire, that's something that's a little bit more in our control. And I know for me, after my father died, um, I got really clear on a bunch of stuff that I wanted. And maybe it has to do with like, I recognize that, um, you know, I came face to face with my own mortality in a way. I'm like, saw it and I was like, okay, like, well, what do I really want? You know, what do I really desire? And like, um, and what, what can I do with this body when it's still working? You know? Yeah. So I think maybe, I think there's, yeah. Cause I, I, now that I, have been able to talk about death more and grief more and like this hard things. I, it, I've just personally found it a lot easier to say like, you know what? Like my time is limited on this planet on this plane, at least. And I yeah. want to try and get as much out of it as I can. And that includes figuring out what the hell I want in <laughs> figuring out what the hell I want yeah. in the bedroom or figuring how, like, yeah. how I want to structure my relationships or how I want to love people. And a lot of times like we, we spend so much time, like you said, talking about sex and euphemism. And I think that also like within Christian subculture, we're so bad about talking about sex. And like, I know that like in my last relationship, I was bad about talking about sex or what I wanted because I, I think I, I know that I still had shame around it. And there's still some shame issues that I'm working through around desire and my body. And it it was just, it's very interesting how at least now I, I feel because of my experience uh, around my father's death, that just like, I just, I know I have a boldness of actually saying what I want and saying what I need and saying what I feel a lot mm-hmm. more than I did before. Hmm. Fun fact. I love facts. Tangent. La Petite Mort Le... is a <gasps> French term. Yes. La Petite Mort. Okay, thank you. Le, thank you. Le petit du monde. Um, yeah, so it's literally the little death. The little and death. The little death, and it is it describes orgasm. Mm. So there's a nice little, you know, intersection there where uh, I guess orgasm is a, you know, supposedly a brief loss of 
I don't know what it is. I don't know either. It's awesome though. I think it's dope. <laughs> yeah, it feels good. It, it's good. I, I, I wonder why. Like, I wonder why. I, I wonder if the French. Now I need to go look this up to see if like the French talked about like death and sex a lot together because that could be an interesting. interesting Can you say it again? Le Can you say it again? Le petit du monde. Hmm. Thanks. That sounds so much sexier than the way that I say it. Le petit, petit. du, du mort. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's uh the those silent T's on the end of it is like really confusing. Okay. Yeah. It's um. I, when I was in school, I was a choral music undergrad. So like I had to study how to, to read French and read German and read Italian. Can I actually tell you what it says? No, but I can pronounce it really well. Mm. So, you know, I can, well, that will get, <laughs> that helps at bars. I will tell you what, I have gone up to many a man and just was like, je veux que le metal le nom que j'ai dit à la nuit est couvent de l'arbre sans bruit. Call me l'arbre et c'est pas are you having a moment right now? Oh, yeah. It's already happened. Oh! <laughs> you guys, we have to turn off the radio. We have to turn off the recording now because we're just kidding. We're going to go have a different conversation. <laughs> no, we're not. In French. In French. Completely in French because we both know how to speak it. We both went to school. Yeah. I um, trying to pull it back on track. Um. You also wrote a book, which I is like no small detail that we shouldn't overlook, but you wrote Confessions of a Funeral Director, uh, How the Business of Death Saved My Life. Mm-hmm. Um, what is what is that book actually kind of like contained therein? What should people expect in that? Basically what we've been talking about, my journey to death positivity, working through a lot of faith issues, uh, working through experiences that I had in the funeral home uh, where I entered it, assuming everything is dark and black and bad and negative Mm -hmm. and not part of God and finding the opposite where Mm. oftentimes heaven exists in tears. And, uh, you know, cause we're we're taught that uh, God shall wipe away every tear. So there's this idea where, uh, where God dwells, everybody's happy. But I've seen quite the opposite where it seems like whatever, however you call God mm-hmm. happens around death a lot. Mm-hmm. And so there's a, a number of those things. Uh, and the, the end of it though, is just the, the death positivity that I've, I've come to embrace. Mm-hmm. So that's it. Buy it. It's it won an award. I won an award for it. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Nautilus book mm. award. I won the gold. Whatever Damn. that means. It's going in my obituary. <laughs> Caleb Wilde was the award winning author on death positivity. And then later his book about death and sex came out. Didn't do so hot. Just kidding. When I'm having trouble orgasming with my wife i just have her yell award-winning author gold medal <laughs> and then <laughs> le petit du monde there we are yep right away maybe that is your second book le petit du monde the endless connections between death and sex huh. yeah well, i've you... thought about writing a book and i i don't think harper one would like it which is where the first one but uh the funeral director and the porn star <gasps> interesting I, I thought about that where you know, like I'd find a porn star who's experienced death, and of course, me who's experienced porn. Um, <laughs> yes. Uh, oh my but, god! No, but the conversation there and uh, the intersection of the two topics. But I don't. I'd have to. <laughs> you have, have to really to, outline that a lot. I'd have to outline it, and I have to be like a really good. I'd have to be like J.K. Rowling's to pitch that, and somebody be like, "Yeah, that's gonna work." Um, so yeah, I don't think I'm there yet. Not yet, but no. after this podcast, this mediocre, like third tier, independent podcast, you're gonna skyrocket all the way to the top, baby. They're gonna be throwing that money at me. That's the hope. 
Like, honestly. <laughs> yeah, it is, right? <laughs> that was my conversation with my friend Caleb Wilde. You can connect with Caleb across the internet at Confessions of a Funeral Director, all one word. And you can also find out more about him and his work at calebwild.com. Uh, Caleb, thanks so much for joining me. Um, I really, really appreciate uh, your time and your heart and your authenticity. This was a really cool time for me, and I hope that other people uh, enjoy it as well. A Tiny Revolution is supported by 145 amazing humans on Patreon. Um, And if you don't know what Patreon is by now, you probably don't listen to podcasts, but let me just give you a refresher. Patreon is an easy way for you to support the creatives in your life that are making the content that matters. So if you liked this episode, if you think conversations like this are important, if you believe that we need more Christian queer content out there on the internet, then I would encourage you to become a sustaining partner today because even as well as a dollar a month, $5 a month, $10 a month if you have it, makes a huge difference in the amount of... uh, in my, a, in my ability to pay my bills and B, also continue to create content at a steady rate, which right now we're growing. So why don't you go over there and join 145 people who said, yes, we do need more queer Christian content. Yes, we do want to have better conversations about faith, sexuality, gender, justice, and the hot mess life we have. Um, so yeah, you can go to patreon.com slash Garcia. Check out all the rewards. We've got a newsletter. I've got some meditations that are coming out next week and you can snatch them up now. Um, yeah, and you don't have to wait a month to get your rewards. Actually, as soon as you sign up, you can uh, contribute for that month, and then you'll just be charged on the first of the next month. It's a really, really great system. So thank you so much already for everyone who has supported us so far. Um, and thank you to everyone who's going to join us this week. I love you. I think that's everything I have for now. Go ahead and grab your tickets for Q Christian. Go to qchristian.org. And as for usual, you can connect with me across social media at the Kevin Garcia on my website, thekevingarcia.com. And lastly, if you wouldn't mind, leave us a rating in iTunes. You can do that right inside of your podcast app or wherever you're listening to your apps. Um, and ratings get us in front of people. So go ahead, uh, subscribe. If you aren't subscribed already, send, leave us a little five-star review. And if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say it. That's rude. All right, I think that's everything. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of A Tiny Revolution. My name is Kevin Garcia, and until next time, I'll talk to you soon, baby. Bye!